We've been studying Romans 10. I'm sorry, we've been studying the book of Romans, and um, recently we have embarked on a six-week mini-study within our study uh, of Israel. And um, the kind of the key title of these six weeks is, What Happened to Israel? Where, where is Israel in, um, in, in God's program, in God's timing? And even more importantly uh, than studying Israel is um, studying God's dealings with Israel, and we, uh, we can summarize that as his sovereignty. God is sovereign. God reigns, and he shows that in his dealings with Israel. This morning, we're in week four of our six weeks, and... Um, I just want to go back and give a a summary of what we've covered so far. The um, first week was uh, Romans 9, 1 through 13, and the title of that message was God's Word Has Not Failed. God's plan has not failed. It's not lost its, its effectiveness. His plan is working. It's still valid. And the purpose of God through election still stands. That was week one. The lessons that we learned... Uh, through the examples of Isaac and Jacob was, uh, were that um, we don't become God's children through our lineage or pedigree. God has no grandchildren. <clears throat> we must come to him directly. God chooses whom he will to be his people. He doesn't need our help, doesn't need our advice, doesn't need our approval. God chooses who will be his people. And then uh, God's choice defies human expectation. We learn that through Isaac. God gave Abraham a son when he was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. uh, God's choice defies human expectation. And then we also learn that God's choice is true, that when he promised a son to Abraham at uh, 75 years of age, he he, promised. Provided he was faithful to his promise, uh, God reigns. He is almighty. There was a um, little chorus that we, uh, we used to hear in the chapel among our youngsters that um, God is so great, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. He is, uh, he is almighty. The second week of our uh, study through God's sovereignty was that God has the right to choose. It's God's prerogative. It's his right to choose. And that was uh, Romans 9, 14 through 29. God has mercy on whom he will have mercy. He hardens the hearts of those he hardens. And we saw that in the example of Pharaoh. Is God unrighteous? Having mercy on whom he has mercy? No. In fact, God would have been righteous to condemn us all to hell for eternity, and we'd be praising God for his righteousness from there. But in his sovereignty and his mercy, he has uh, elected some to come to him and be saved. Does this free us of our responsibility to, uh, to come to him in faith? No. We, um, we looked at that in the um, example of Jesus lamenting Jerusalem's Rebellion. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not 
elect? No. He says, you were not willing. You were not willing that you should come to me and uh, that I should gather you to myself. And so there's an accountability there. We're responsible to God for, uh, for our coming to him in faith. To um, rebellious Israel, in Joshua's day, the writer of Hebrews said, Today, if you, were, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. We have responsibility. Then uh, in week three, Romans 9.30 through 10.13, we uh, studied that Israel rejected God's salvation because they were ignorant of his righteousness. The question that morning seemed to be, what are you wearing for heaven? What are you, what's your dress for heaven? And uh, we looked at the parable of the wedding guest, uh, I believe in uh, Matthew 22. The wedding guest was, uh, this one wedding guest was bound hand and foot, and he was ga- cast into outer darkness. Do you remember what the reason was for that? It seems rather uh, uh, cruel if we didn't know why. He wasn't dressed properly, okay? And uh, Jesus is enforcing, he's uh, reinforcing there that um, the, we need the proper attire, we need the proper dress for heaven. The Jews sought to establish their own righteousness and that through law-keeping, but the uh, righteousness of faith, God's righteousness, is uh, the wedding garment that God provides. A very valuable lesson. And then that, uh, uh, that week we finished with uh, 10, um, 13, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that brings us to our lesson this week, which is uh, Romans 10, 14 through 21. And our title This morning, if you will, is that God foretold Israel's rejection. God foretold. He he told us in advance that um, Israel was going to reject him. And he'll use that uh, in his sovereignty. Um, Just a bit of background before we read. Almost two-thirds of our reading this morning is direct quotes from the Old Testament. Two-thirds of what we're going to study is uh, quotes from the Old Testament. Why? Why? Because Paul is establishing the fact that the Lord anticipated his, Israel's rejection and that he made provision for Israel's rejection. God is not surprised. He's not caught off guard. He's not racing to control the damage uh, by the inhabitants of some rogue planet. Instead, he is carefully arranging circumstances and people and nations to accomplish his will. And he receives the glory for it. Amen. Does this, though, sound kind of impersonal, kind of arbitrary, that God is, is moving the pieces on the board to, to suit his pleasure and to accomplish his will? Remember that the Lord is so invested in you today that he has numbered the hairs of your head. He is so involved in your life, he's, um, so, uh, his sovereignty is so um, focused that, uh, that he's got you at the center of his care. 
God is not surprised, neither is he vindictive toward Israel. That is, he's not responding to them in kind, not uh, being spiteful um, toward them. God is grieved by Israel's hard-heartedness, but he's not surprised by it. The, um, the important thing for us to remember is that God rules. And uh, in Proverbs 21.1, we read, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Even the king's heart is in the uh, hand of the Lord. What troubles you today? What burdens your heart? Is it uh, health problems? Family strife? Mounting inflation? The prospect of nuclear weapons used in the war in Ukraine? Is it global warming? Hear the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar 2,600 years ago. Heathen King Nebuchadnezzar said, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. The Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. What a comfort to us who know the Lord today. How are you acknowledging his rule in your life? How are you acknowledging his sovereignty by your responses to trials? Well, um, that sets us up for our passage this, passage this morning, and so we'll read uh, Romans 10, and we'll back up to verse 11. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Isaiah, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. We'll look at four questions as an outline of our scripture study this morning. First, um, how does God reach those who would call on him? Um, verses 14 and 15. Second, didn't Israel hear the gospel? Verses 16 through 18. Third, how does God agitate 
or stir up Israel to faith in him, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> and then, uh, how does God respond to Israel's rejection, we see in verse 21. So, to start, how does God reach those who would call on him? And he, um, he tells us in verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? We, um, uh, Bill McDonald rever- uh, reverses the procedure in, um, uh, in helping to clarify what the Lord is doing here. And um, uh, to, to back up a little bit, the, um, the promise in verse, verse 13 applies to all, Jew and Gentile, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's, um, it's an invitation that excludes any, uh, any works of the law, any um, influences of Judaism. It's, a, it's an open invitation to Jew and Gentile. With the same deliberation, the same purpose, purposefulness that God in his sovereignty chose those whom he will save, he also provides the way to get the message of his salvation to them. Um, Simplify. God sovereignly chose those whom he'd save. God provides the means of reaching them with the gospel so that they are saved. Okay? And then uh, we'll we'll reverse the order of uh, verse 14 here. First, God sends out his messengers then God's messengers speak his word. Needy sinners hear God's offer of eternal life. Some who hear believe God and his message. Those who believe call on the Lord, and this call, uh, we call on the Lord, may be as simple as, uh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He calls upon the Lord and those who call upon him are saved. Um, and that's a promise. That's, uh, that's the verse 13 promise. 100% of those who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. That's, uh, that's nice. Good to have 100%. Um, okay. So we look at this method, uh, we see... God sending out messengers and messengers preaching, the hearers uh, hearing and believing on his word and calling on him. This is really the foundation for our uh, foreign missions. When uh, we see the needs of uh, India, over a billion people in India, and um, uh, only a small percentage know the Lord, the rest uh, are yet to be reached. So we... um, we send out laborers into that harvest field. It's um, not just for foreign missions, but it's for across-the-street neighbors. We, um, we think, well, I'm not going to be a missionary. God hasn't called me to overseas missions, but he's called me to cross the street and uh, speak to my neighbor. And so uh, we go, we preach, they hear, they believe, they call upon the Lord, they're saved. 
Paul um, explained this method of reaching the Gentiles, and the unbelieving Jews were totally uh, upset with Paul. They, um, they find his method inexcusable because you're preaching to the Gentiles. The apostle declares the loveliness of the feet of those who bring glad tidings in verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. What a joy and privilege it is to be God's messenger. What a relief to have labored for years to achieve God's approval and then to hear that God's already provided all that's necessary for salvation through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. What a relief. How beautiful are those feet. This is the first of Paul's six Old Testament quotes in our uh, scripture portion this morning. So I'd like to turn to Isaiah 52.7. We'll go through... um, as many of these quotes as time allows, and um, there's more to the quotes than Paul gives in, in, uh, in Romans 10. We want to um, appreciate the background behind these different quotes. And so he, um, uh, he's quoting from Isaiah 52 in verse 7, "'How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news.'" who proclaims peace, who brings good tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices, with their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem, The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah's tone is one of uh, uninhibited joy, of uh, overflowing with with a sound of triumph. And he's prophesying here um, Messiah's restoration of his people, the regathering of his people to Jerusalem from captivity. And uh, what, what Isaiah is uh, envisioning here is um, there's a messenger. He's coming from a long distance, and the watchmen are on the walls, and they're watching. And uh, they see this messenger over one hill and down and then up the next hill. And these messengers uh, are so eager for news of God's redemption. They say, how beautiful are the feet of these guys uh, bringing the, um, the message of redemption, of restoration. Paul <clears throat> takes this triumph, this joy, and he applies it to the, um, the salvation that, uh, that God gives through his gospel. And so we may not have naturally beautiful feet. I was going to put a, a slide up here of, um, of people's feet, but... Um, how lovely are the feet of those who preach the gospel to me. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate these, uh, these beautiful feet. And how lovely are your feet when you take glad tidings of good things to your neighbors, your friends, your family, your coworkers. 
One commentator suggests that it's really the shoes that beautify the feet. And he, um, he refers to uh, Ephesians 6.15, where Paul exhorts the Ephesians to have their feet shod, uh, that is, uh, bind, bound uh, as with sandals, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Okay? <clears throat> Not just the, uh, the gospel of peace, but the preparation of that gospel. And the um, preparation suggests firm footing in the original. It's, um, it's the idea that uh, we have a solid foundation so that when we walk, we walk worthy of the gospel. That is, we have a um, uh, solid testimony um, to those who we're seeking to minister to. He told the uh, Philippians, Paul said, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't be out there preaching uh, on a high level and living on a low level. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Okay. Um, Israel refused the gospel. We read in, um, in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Sadly, not many uh, have heard, who've heard the gospel have obeyed it, have accepted it. And Isaiah asks the Lord, who has believed our report? He asked the question, interestingly enough, at the beginning of Isaiah 53, that, um, that wonderful chapter that speaks of the suffering of Messiah, the, the um, sin-bearer, the, uh, the load lifter. <clears throat> Isaiah asked the question, who's believed our report? Here's the report. It's Isaiah 53. And so we'll, um, uh, we'll look at um, Isaiah 53. If you turn there and start at verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For, she, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Who has believed our report? The real answer to Isaiah's question is, not many. Not many have um, believed Isaiah 53. Isaiah was dismayed that with all the other prophecies of Messiah in, uh, that he gave and that other prophets gave, that the Jews would disregard this most important one of the um, uh, Messiah bearing the sins of the lost. Isaiah's question is really a denunciation. It's an accusation against the hard-hearted, self-righteous Jews. Which accusation we could certainly apply to mankind in general today that we disregard the, um, the suffering 
of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Isaiah witnessed Messiah's rejection, as did the Apostle John, and he gave account of this in um, uh, observing the Lord Jesus' uh, ministry among the Jews. He wrote in John 12, beginning at verse 37, Although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Paul um, considers the, uh, the report that Isaiah gave and the need to believe. God gives us that report, Isaiah 53, to, to believe and to rely on, to accept. And he um, He tells us in verse 17, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. True faith comes by hearing the word of God. And that hearing in the original really means a reception of the message. It could include reading as well. So uh, faith comes by reception of God's message, even that reception by the word of God. What does that mean to us? Well, you and I can read a lot of commentaries and Christian books and biographies, and uh, they don't save. They don't give us that faith. It's the Word of God that um, is authoritative and sure and uh, living and powerful and that, um, that gives us God's message. But haven't they heard? In verse 18, yes, indeed, Paul's answer, of course, they've heard. And then he turns to Psalm 19, which I'd like you to turn to as well, Psalm 19 and verse 1, and he uses this as, uh, as an illustration. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. David in Psalm 19 is um, really speaking of creation's witness. The heavens declare God's limitlessness and power. We look at the night sky and we we get the help of astronomers' uh, telescopes and Uh, they are searching for the edge of the universe, and they're not quite there yet. (laughs) They think they're on it, but they're not. Um, It shows God's infiniteness. uh, Just his creation shows his character. The faithful cycle of seasons, of months, of the days of the year speak of his order. God loves order. It speaks of his faithfulness. God's mercies are fresh every morning. So it's uh, um, no surprise to us when Paul writes in Romans 1.20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, that is the inhabitants of the planet, the, uh, we who are the recipients of his gracious provision, so that they are without excuse 
God shows his, um, his character, his excellence, his power, his infiniteness through creation. And Paul uses this uh, creation's witness to show the extent of the preaching of the gospel. Paul, um, Paul related that um, even in his day, the gospel went through all the earth. It went to the end of the world. And Paul is not referring only to the vast expanse, the extent of the message that was preached, but also of its um, suitability to every sinner, the need for every sinner to hear and to obey this gospel. And then in, um, in verse 19, Paul says, uh, did Israel, did not Israel know? That is, did they not understand God's message? And that um, question demands as a emphatic a no as his earlier question about Israel hearing demanded a yes. We say no, um, they did not know, they did not understand, um, but um, in verse Verse 18, yes, they have heard. They heard, but did not understand. We could sympathize with, um, with Israel for not understanding if it weren't willful ignorance. Israel chose ignorance. Israel chose not to know God's message because they had a better plan. They had their own righteousness to offer to, uh, to God. Israel chose not to believe in the face of indisputable facts. Messiah was there before them, with them, preaching to them and accomplishing uh, signs of authentication, proving that he was the Son of God. He was Messiah come to earth, and they said no. No, we're not going to accept this. We're not going to accept this message. Israel rejected the light that God shone on them, and there is no greater blindness than that of him who will not see. They, they were blind because they didn't want to see. God would not abandon or forsake Israel, but instead he would provoke them to jealousy. And this brings us to our next quote in Deuteronomy. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 21. Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And in Deuteronomy, we read, uh, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. Israel provoked God to jealousy by their idolatry. God would provoke Israel to jealousy by reaching out to another nation. In Deuteronomy, Moses is prophesying Israel's conquest by 
Gentile nations, perhaps uh, especially by the Canaanites whom Israel despised. Israel should have driven them out under uh, Joshua. But um, uh, Paul, in taking this um, prophecy, is applying it to the Gentiles. And he's going to provoke Israel to jealousy by God reaching out to Gentiles. Because they would hear the gospel and believe. What was God not doing? He wasn't being spiteful. He wasn't retaliating against Israel. He wasn't saying that you've so hurt me that I'm going to hurt you in return. Instead, he's saying, you provoke me to anger. I'm going to provoke you through the Gentiles to win you to myself, to, uh, to draw you to myself. He's not trying to destroy Israel. He's trying to, trying to love Israel with his love. Through uh, Moses' prophecy, God proved that he not only knew of Israel's rejection, but he declared their rejection 1,400 plus years before Paul's letter to the Romans. Okay, so here, here we have Paul quoting Moses because God gave the word to Moses to apply to Israel in the gospel. Got it? That's um, God is proving. He's, he's looking ahead 1,400 years and saying, um, yeah, Israel is, uh, is rejecting me, and uh, I'm giving the gospel to the Gentiles to win them to myself. He says in Isaiah, through uh, Isaiah in chapter 46, 9 and 10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God in his sovereignty. He chose the Gentiles, those who were not a nation. The, um, Israel looks at, um, at the Gentiles in uh, verse 19, and he says, you're not even a nation. He says, you are nobodies, spiritual nobodies. You're heathen, you're barbarians, you're have-nots, uncircumcised, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise. And he says... Um, uh, I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. These, um, these Gentiles are people without understanding. They're foolish. They bow down to rock and wood and uh, to things made of silver and gold. They devote themselves to what is not God. God's going to provoke Israel by this foolish nation. And we can understand something of the, um, the Jews' uh, intensity of their jealousy when they arrested Paul uh, at the temple in Jerusalem for allegedly uh, desecrating the temple, okay? So here we have um, Paul at the temple, and uh, he had been seen with Gentiles, 
he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and so he was walking through the city with, with Gentiles, and later they saw him in the temple, and they thought, Paul has brought Gentiles into the temple. We're going to kill him. <laughs> uh, so they dragged him out, and uh, on the way out, uh, in comes the uh, Roman police, and they said, uh, you know, what's going on here? Uh, Paul talks to the centurion. He says, can I have a minute to talk to, to these people? And the um, centurion says, okay, give your defense. And so Paul, Paul's uh, up on these steps, and he turns to the crowd, and he says, um, uh, this is what God has, has told me. And the people, the Jews, listened attentively as, uh, as Paul gave his, uh, his personal testimony and um, how God spoke to him in a vision. And the Jews listened respectfully until Paul came to the point in Jesus' vision that Jesus said, Depart, for I will send you here, from here to the Gentiles. They exploded, the Jews. They raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. Then they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust, uh, dust in the air. So we, we can understand this is the jealousy of the Jews. You will not go to the Gentiles. God is not going to the Gentiles. We are his chosen people. And uh, um, if, if we see Gentiles coming to the Lord, it's, it's provoking us to reconsider our, our own state. I mean, that's what God wants. He wants ultimately for Israel to come to faith. How thoroughly did Israel respond to God's provocation? We see a glimpse of it in um, Paul's preaching in Berea in Acts 17. The um, brethren sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These uh, Jews in the synagogue were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them, that is, the Jews, believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So we do see Jews uh, responding to God's provocation uh, to jealousy. Paul continues, and he says um, in verse 20, uh, Isaiah was very bold. When, um, when we see Paul being dragged through the street uh, in Jerusalem, we uh, see him stoned for his testimony, we see him shipwrecked, we begin to uh, understand how thoroughly he appreciated Isaiah's courage. Isaiah's message was an insult to self-righteous Israel, as Paul's was. God was setting aside his nation in the, in, uh, in the favor of the Gentiles. And so uh, he says in verse 20, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. And that's from Isaiah 65, verse 1. Paul demonstrated in Antioch that God had turned from Israel to the Gentiles. We read that in Acts 13. 
and uh, starting at verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul demonstrated God's turning from Israel to the Gentiles. Jennings, in his commentary on Isaiah, commenting on this verse, said, The tender grace of God to poor man is like a mighty river. Let human pride, let lukewarm indifference, let self-complacent religion bar its course. The river sweeps away in another direction. The Jews say, no, we're not going to accept God's gracious message. Then God takes his message to the Gentiles. But what a pleasure it is to God um, to have been found by those who in a time past did not seek for him. What a pleasure that is to God's heart. God is ever the initiator. He's, um, uh, the Gentiles didn't suddenly say, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to seek after the Lord, but instead uh, we love him because he first loved us. He is the, um, he's the one who begins the process. And then in verse, um, verse 21, we see how God responded to rejection by his favored nation. He says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That's from Isaiah um, 50, 50, uh, I'm sorry, 65, verses 2 and 3. God exercises incredible restraint and grace toward his uh, rebellious people. Paul's going to show us in the next chapter, Romans 11, that Israel's rejection was neither total nor was it permanent, and we have that to look forward to. Israel may have forgotten God, but God has not forsaken Israel, nor should we forsake Israel. By way of application for us who are followers of the Lord Jesus, let's um, realize the tremendous privilege that God has given us, that he's sending out, he sends us out to, uh, to preach. You may not view yourself as a preacher, but when you, um, you go to your neighbor's uh, door and you're, you're talking about current events and you bring the gospel in, you are a preacher. You're bringing the message of God to, to your neighbors. So, Let's seize that opportunity Let's, uh, while, while it's yet day, while we have a voice and feet and hands. Let's go to our, our neighbors and uh, bring the gospel to them. Exercise your beautiful feet.
Then, um, in bringing the gospel out, let's anticipate resistance, apathy, rejection, whether you're on the streets of New York or um, in your workplace, uh, you're being faithful to preach the gospel, anticipate rejection. People are going to say, you're crazy, um, you're ignorant. Okay, fine, but um, this is God's message for you to be saved. And uh, in preaching the gospel, expect the unexpected. The Lord said that um, he was found by those who did not seek him. So there are men and women in your workplace, in your neighborhood, who uh, had no thought of God. They were uh, adamantly opposed to hearing anything about the Lord. Seek them. Go to them with the gospel because we should expect the unexpected. Application uh, for those who have not yet been persuaded to accept God's terms of peace. Realize today that God sent you a preacher. The preacher proclaimed glad tidings of good things. You have heard the word concerning the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for you. God's word is absolutely reliable. It's proven. It's worthy of your trust. Call on the Lord for his mercy, and you will not be disappointed. You will be saved. Joseph Griggs wrote a hymn about the Lord stretching out his hands all day long to a rebellious people. O lovely attitude, he stands with open heart and outstretched hands. O matchless kindness, and he shows his matchless kindness to his foes. If you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, open your heart to him, and he will come in. He will save you. Uh, I've asked um, Noad if we could close with uh, Joseph Griggs' hymn, Behold the Savior at the Door. We'll pray first. Lord, I praise you for your word, and it's... um, its liveliness, its power, its ability to, um, uh, to save as, um, as we rely on the Lord Jesus on his work for, uh, for salvation. Lord, I ask for, um, for us to be faithful in our ministry that um, at the end of the day we take our, uh, our shoes and socks off and we realize uh, we've got beautiful feet because we... Um, we conveyed your message to a lost world. Those who do not know you, Lord, I pray for one in, uh, within hearing this morning that uh, he or she would realize the, um, the effort that you've gone to to send preachers to preach your word, that they might hear, they might believe, they might call upon you for salvation. I pray for that one who would call upon you today and be saved. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.